in episode 179 of Friends of Film, where he read the latest movie news and review the biggest new release, which this week is MIB International. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by Josh Straley. Hello, everyone. Hello, Cooper. Hello? Guess what? What? I just read Dune. Okay. The book. It's a book. That yes. Danny Villeneuve is making into a movie. By David Lynch. Frank Herbert. By Frank Herbert, who, who was which was first adapted by David Lynch, who yes. is now delivering his very first online class with Masterclass. This is not an ad. This is just something I saw. <laughs> and it's very I love those Masterclass ads because everything about it screams I need money <laughs> as they speak into the camera. I think there's only been like one person, Ron Howard, who I believe genuinely is doing it to do it. <laughs> Everybody else is just like, I really don't want to be here. There's like Aaron Sorkin. He's like, he teaches you how to write. And Aaron Sorkin just looks like I feel like, like Natalie is. Portman did one. I Probably. There's so many people with master classes. Um, Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmerman genuinely looks interested in his as well. But... Everyone else is just like, I wish this wasn't happening. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, I reread Dune. It is, it's not as dense this time as I remember. Okay. I mean, as a, like a 13-year-old kid reading that book, <laughs> none of it makes sense. It's just sort of like the vague conception of adventure. And this time there's layers and layers and layers and layers. Mm-hmm. If Denny's behind all of that, um, I th- it's just going to be great, I think. Is it your most anticipated movie of next year? I think so. Because we don't have a Star Wars movie coming out. No Star Wars. It's really that or Nolan and Tenet. Oh, that, these are my two favorite I know, people. I know. And they shoot in the same styles in a lot of way too. I mean, just sort of like slow but dreadful and vague. Uh-huh. And oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. You can't um, choose. I can't choose. I don't think I can choose. I'm not okay. going to ready to say it this time. <laughs> but you will. When I am ready to say it, I'll say it on the podcast. I'll say it on Twitter probably. And if you're looking for those things, you can follow us on Twitter at Friends in Film. And if you're looking for episodes where we've given our most anticipated for this year and then for the upcoming year, which is coming soon, you can find those on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or you can check out our PodCoin where you get paid to listen to podcasts, something you already do. Um, So check that out. Head to our Twitter and get our code, pump, pump, plug in Friends in Film with the and sign between, and you'll get 300 points just for doing that. Did I get all that right? I believe you did. Sweet. Well done, sweet, Josh. Sweet. Keep plugging away. Use PodCoin, uh, as Josh said. And yeah, get paid to listen to our podcast, to other podcasts, and all uh, all podcasts you want to listen to. But if you can, on Apple Podcasts, just jump over there and rate and review us. That'll ultimately help rank us, and then we can find more friends of the show. That's right. So whether it's PodCoin, Apple Podcasts, we just want to keep growing this uh, as best of our ability. And you can do that by helping us out, either by listening to us on PodCoin, listening to us on Apple Podcasts, giving us reviews, or just recommending us to other film lovers that you know that also love listening to podcasts. So uh, before we get into our view of Men in Black International this week, Josh, did you have a chance to watch anything else that you want to tell the listeners about? Oh, did I? Yes. Well, I have one, and okay. we, we should already have seen this. We've already talked about it, but it was a rewatch. Paddington. Oh. I um was at home with the family, uh, like not my family, but like my immediate family. Oh, okay. I don't have children. I guess. Oh, I'm trying okay. To say. <laughs> and I'm like, you guys have never seen Paddington, and there's a special joy watching and putting on Paddington mm-hmm. for all these people. Paul King's colors, just like the, I don't know, like the the. the funny loose british humor that's also witty and then it just runs through the movie is perfect in every sense and then sometimes you just forget that sally hawkins is in that movie 
and it's just a joy all over again. So and then uh, Kate Blanchett's the villain of oh, the first one, right? Nicole Kidman. Or Nicole is. Kidman, yes. Yes. She's um, so good. And then uh, Hugh Bonneville just crushes it all the way through. So yeah, uh, just terrific movie. Uh, speaking of Nicole Kidman, I watched uh, Big Little Lies to catch up uh, for season two. Mm-hmm. Wow, that show is terrific. Even though I felt like I knew where the plot was going yeah. since like episode like two or three, uh, it like it's still just so well done, so well acted. Are you uh, saying the staircase has lots of winds and it twists does, it to does, it? It does. It does. It um, does. But we're not a we're not a TV podcast. No. Um, but I also caught up on black beer so I'm, I'm caught up on those two tv shows but uh other than you know watching some uh mib uh previous movies which we can talk about in our review and stuff of the whole franchise uh, i also have been gearing up for toy story 4 which comes out next week uh, starting the toy story uh, franchise but then also i watched inside out again because like you know i'm just Aww. in the pixar mood yes man that movie is just so good it gets better like, and better it, it really does like it gets deeper it gets better uh, i hitching the feels even more like when bing bong has to say like you know take her to the moon and i'm like oh big bomb and then he just fades out yeah it's then... so sad so good uh i even though I, i'm i'm happy with pixar doing like their own thing like doing more like inside outs more cocos more mm-hmm. onwards and stuff i would love to see like in a sequel to inside out where it's like sure. her going through puberty going like taking the riley's first date short and, like pushing that forward like there's so much like rich material here. Introduce new emotions. Yeah, uh, I think it would be so good. But yeah, Inside Out's just incredible. The, the utterly lovely movie. But uh, will be will we be saying the same about MIB International? That I am not so sure about. Uh, I don't know what Josh thinks of the movie, but. I have a review up on our website, friendsandfilm.wordpress.com, with the headline reads, uh, A Promising Franchise Revolval Falls Flat, Um, because it's pretty much what it is. I mean, this the Men in Black franchise is not a franchise that I've, like, you know, grown up, like, obsessed about, but it has been a franchise that... I've come to love quite a bit, uh, especially that original movie uh, with Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones. It's just like, you know, almost pitch perfect. Um, But this one, they try to replicate a lot of that success with Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth in lead roles. They are really good. Or I should really say Tessa Thompson is very, very good. Mm -hmm. Chris Hemsworth is just like good, but like they're not totally sure what to do with him, it seems like at some points. Um, And I don't know if that comes down to F. Gary Gray, the director, just being like not the best fit for this movie, um, because it seems like for whatever reason, even though he can do comedy, he can do drama, he can do action. When he has to like mix it all together, whether it be like Fate of the Furious or here, it just like there's something missing and it just can decent sequence which was entertaining and then other than that it's really just like trying to work chemistry from thor ragnarok but they can't quite get to those heights because taika watiti not the one pushing them forward and then as the alien pawnee being mm-hmm. a scene stealing uh one line giving uh with them in the middle of a desert that i found to be probably the best part because it had the comedy but it doesn't really address at all these characters are for the most part, exactly who they were at the beginning, exactly who they are special about this, and it ultimately is a paint-by-numbers blockbuster that can be mildly entertaining. There's a lot of familiar tropes of two men in black movies, and at the end of the day, I can only give it two and a half ticket stubs out of five. Everybody, because this is an international disaster. Gosh. <laughs> like, I mean, really, they had so many things in this film that are just right. F. Gary Gray is a competent, good director. He's He's got, like, this stuff. You've got two great leads, Tessa Thompson, and uh, Chris Hemsworth. And then you've got Emma Thompson. And then you've got Liam Neeson, 
then you throw in there on top of it some great people like Rebecca Ferguson, Rafe Spall, um, and, and Kamel. Kamel. And then you somehow spit out just this plain old boring thing that you will point out all of these characters to people and kids and for future generations be like, they are terrific. And they'll be like, this is a terrible movie. Like they can't be that good. And be like, no, you got to go find these other indie films. And I, I don't know why I thought we'd get something different, but we really just got something that's going to end up on TNT and play, you know, alongside of all the original men in black films. And, this, and then this will be like, oh yeah, that's the one that comes after and it's terrible. That, that, that's the legacy of the movie with all of these great people. And that's really sad um, because like aliens, like the whole, it doesn't have fun with its cosmic intergalactic thing. It just sort of like, here's some aliens are coming to destroy the earth. That's it. There's, there's nothing clever about it. Mm-hmm. It's just, we have aliens. Woohoo. And then it tries to be weird. And it, but in, Instead, the story is vague, and Tessa and Chris Hemsworth's chemistry, like you said, it tr- the idea was, I suppose, to riff off of how great they were in Thor Ragnarok, how funny that was. Here, everything is flat. I don't know if it's editing. I don't know, like, you know what the case is, but F. Gary Gray's comedy crafting here is just not great at all. It really just it lives and breathes on that one scene with Kamal, like you mentioned, they're out in the desert at night and they're rebuilding a rocket. They, they're they doing all that thing and it's like situational and physical, mm-hmm. but also like petty and personality. Yeah. And that, that'll bleed through in that slow moment. Everywhere else, it just looks like a, an amorphous blob of alien and CGI action. And it's it's not worth your time uh, whatsoever. These Men in Black movies as a whole are just, I mean, like they're supposed to be kind of like grimy, and they get there with that, but here it's it's sort of just I don't know. It's like it wants to be so many things. It wants to be international, like James Bondy with mm-hmm. Chris Hemsworth, but it wants to be like a personal self self discovery movie for Tessa Thompson, but it also wants to be Men in Black. Yeah, it's neither of those things. It's just kind of vaguely structured, like something like that, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, overall, like it's a it's a one and a half ticket stuff. Movie. Okay. I, I definitely cannot fault you there. Um, I think really my, my two and a half comes out, even though there are some, I think, boring elements to the movie where I'm like, I know where this is going. And like, you're not, you're not surprising me at any of its turns. There were just, there was enough redeeming graces to get it to two and a half, which is still half of a, half, like a 50% basically. Sure. Like it's not, I'm not recommending this movie uh, really, unless you are like a big fan of the franchise and then you're probably already seen this movie anyways, mm-hmm. um, because there are, you know, some nice, you know, callbacks to previous movies or, you know, some okay, you know, pushing forward to the mythology with like the Eiffel tower um, and like stuff like that. But otherwise, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that we've seen before. Um, and I guess we'll move into spoilers yeah. on men in black international. So if you have not seen the movie yet, uh, turn away for not turn away, pause it, go see the movie or you can fast forward to the news section uh, and skip over spoilers. But before we kind of dive into this movie, like you kind of mentioned your thoughts on the franchise as a whole. Yes. Like what, like, are you like a really big fan of the first one? Not so much the other two. Yeah. Or or where, where do you sit with them? I don't hold them in high. I don't hold them in high esteem, Mm -hmm. but you, they're just, there's something very simple about the first men in black movie where it's like, we're too, detectives or two FBI agent, like international alien interstellar uh-huh. FBI agents. That's kind of like the thing. Yeah. And we just roll around and we clean up alien messes and then 
all of a sudden they have one big alien mess to kind of you know clean up with and then they, that's it they're done they go forward j and k mm-hmm. there we go are you know tommy lee jones and will smith like they're cool they're uh, they're cool but they're they're very much those characters i mean I, I, would say, I would say will smith is pretty he's cool very cool movie. um and, but i'm the like comparison wise tessa thompson and chris hemsworth are very cool too mm-hmm. but this movie is supposed to be more of it's supposed to run with a comedic edge to it but the movie just diverts from that every and every time um and then it just cascades into dumber and dumber <laughs> whereas those first three men in black movies they they um the the con the high concept and then they sort of descend into like more lore and myth and just kind of how all things work this film's like here's how everything works and we're not going to explain anything to you right. whatsoever like I, who, what is a Pawnee? <laughs> like what's that royal family? Why do they, like they somehow control an assassin underworld? That's why they get you know when they go to them. I don't know, and it just flips into this problem where the script is just a mess too. Where you're just you know you get whiplash trying to understand what's going on, and like Liam Neeson is he good? Is he bad? Is Rafe Spall? And like it's part of the thing, like the a mis like a sense of mistrust yeah. and espionage. Like that's the James Bondian element too. Who can you trust? Mm-hmm. Who can you not? And then you've realized it's exactly what you thought the entire time. And I'm like, that was a long walk to tell me what we knew already. Right. Just like I said, just keep it face forward. Like and then you could have cut all of that out and given me more Kamel, more crits more Tessa mm-hmm. just doing something funny. Or do you, I mean, even if, I would not even know if I'd say add on, you can just I'll cut out like sections of this movie and like still get that same end result. Like the opening sequence is like as, as much as I really like Tessa Thompson and like her character Vem when she's actually able to like be a character mm-hmm. and not just be like, you're just on this journey and you have no emotional motivation or anything. Um, they just like skip over her entire like learning period with the MIB. Cause it's like, Oh, you've seen this before, you know it. And so you just get to see like get tailored up, like hold a couple of different guns and boom, she's off to London. You're like, yeah, she's never like, I haven't seen her do anything. Has she done anything? It's very unclear. They opt to montage. It's a cool montage. Yeah. Like it, you can, that's the one time you feel something from F Gary uh-huh. Gray and his style there. But then they're like, yep. Yeah, all right. In the, into the train car, into the disguised train that's in the men yeah. in black international headquarters that then well, I don't, runs it? on a straight loop. It was it. I have no idea. I have no idea. It's either. very confusing. It was like, why? Like just so many unnecessary things. I'm like, oh, goodness sake. <laughs> but it's also like you mentioned the, the, the mystery of it all that, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there may be a mole um, in the organization, which is really just a cover that Tessa comes up with on the spot to cover up the fact that like their previous mission, like went awry. And it's like, okay, like, so you, you nailed it by lying and guessing, I guess. Um, but like, there's this this mystery that you mentioned of okay, is it Hemsworth or not? Is it Hemsworth? Is it well, yeah, uh, is, is it Hemsworth? Well, well, is it is it Neeson? Is it Spall's character? Um, but then there's also like oh, like there's this weird like mystery about Hemsworth. Like ooh, like, like the, the there's this big green alien who like has the powerful weapon. That's the mm-hmm. MacGuffin Bungus. of the movie. And uh, he's like, oh, I can't. He tells M uh, Molly, he's like, I can't trust. H like something's different about him. It's like, Ooh, what's different. And he's like, ah, nothing's different about me. I'm the right. same old guy. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, that's very weird. And then like the movie ends, it's like, what well, was different about him? Yeah. <laughs> he like, lost faith in himself, lost faith in himself. His memory was taken with the, um, the, yeah, with the, the neuralizer, the neuralizer. I don't, I don't know. Like there was, 
That felt like a like a dangling plot thread. They're like, uh, whoops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's sort of like he because he's getting trashed throughout the entire movie, and you're just like, okay, he's clearly like been scarred by saving the world or saving the planet, and then it turns out he's forgotten the entire thing. So that whole thing just goes out the window, and yeah. you're like, okay, so it's not like a coping thing. It's not PTSD or something like that, and you're just like what yeah and, in, and in, i know this movie asking this movie to make sense um i guess is a lot <laughs> to you know request <laughs> but even that's just sort of like well okay you know uh this like like I, and if i can stew on that at the end of this movie there's a problem here you know it's the harrison ford like kid if they're looking at your hair <laughs> we've got bigger problems <laughs> and, and that's kind of where we're at with this yeah i mean it's just really it just does not come together and i, I it's just disappointing because like you never like feel like it's like okay well like it's pretty clearly neeson because like you don't like show this mission of h and neeson's character high t fighting off this alien invasion Mm -hmm. and then cut to black and then don't show the result and be like uh okay clearly something bad happens there (laughs) that we're not supposed to know about yeah so it's clearly like one of those two it's like you're not gonna make comes with the bad guy Mm -hmm. like that's just like that doesn't that's not how hollywood works poor franchising (laughs) exactly um and it's just like okay so it's like so this it's like liam neeson is the bad guy in some way some form and it's just like we we knew this was coming then when they like stop rebecca ferguson's character from getting the powerful weapon at the very end because neeson comes in it's like oh it's a party it's like well clearly this isn't the end of the movie like you don't this is not how this thing ends like thankfully h and m like catch on that pretty quickly like something's off yeah it's like okay that was good uh, because I thought they were just going to be like, oh, happy-go-lucky, we're, we're good. And then, like, Agent C was going to be like, guys, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? Yeah. Oh. it was That was, like, the very meta moment of the movie, too, yeah. where, like, just sort of like, this is, this is, something's not right. This is, Or she thinks she said, this is not right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where uh, I was at with the movie, too, where I was like, yeah, this movie's not right at all. It was just, uh, that was the moment where I'm like... Yep, this is as bad as I thought. There's no, there's no upswing. There's mm-hmm. just the final big gooey alien reveal, and then the big explosion in the end. And like, I guess it all kind of looks nice and stylish. Like the Eiffel sure. Tower is, it's great. The Paris is a beautiful <laughs> backdrop. Yeah, it looks like a nice CGI uh-huh. Eiffel Tower. Exactly. Like all, oh, so much green screen here. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, what you expect. Yeah. But like, that's what it is. What it is. But uh, it's just like. I'm thinking about that and not how like they just saved the world. And so right. <laughs> I just knew it. Just well, checked yeah. out at that point. And it's also just like very like unclear. Like it's again, like what, like what were the actual stakes? What, what did the hive want? Like were those two like twin dance break dancing alien guys? Like were they part of the hive? Are they not? I'm really confused about them. <laughs> That's right. Uh, they um, just like let loose in that club. Yeah, it's like, like I know that like those guys are professional dancers in real life. So I, like, mm-hmm. I get why you, Try, I thought you like if you're gonna do that, incorporate that into like their fight style, so not just be like, we don't understand humans. Time to break dance. It's like what? <laughs> like this does not make any sense whatsoever. Oh. That whole that whole club sequence is like one of like the worst parts of the movie. Oh yeah, that's where what's the alien's name? Vung- I think it's Vungus. He's like thrusting his his oh, hips at, to- yeah. at Thompson. I'm like what? Like why? 
okay, okay, we're we're going there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seemed unnecessary. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, like the first time they like like they played up like I don't know, like Chris Hemsworth like sleeping with like an alien or something like that. You're like, okay, that's kind of funny. Yeah, but then because like he's handsome and it's playing, it's uh-huh. like riffing off of like you're a very beautiful man, Chris Hemsworth. And then like you get to that part and like, oh okay, it's like eye rolling, and yeah. then it just your eyes never stop rotating because until Kamal shows up, and then that's it. Yeah, but like that whole like. Uh, Hamster's introduction, which he's like, he's like at a gambling thing with mm-hmm. like this three-headed like little snake, yes. and then he like has to get out of it by sleeping with that woman. It's like, what was the whole point of that, other than to give Hamster like a semi-comedic, semi-action introduction? Like, yeah. there's there, there's no callbacks to it. It's just a five-minute introduction for that character that does nothing for him because we've already seen him before the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. So it's like, why? Like that just seemed totally unnecessary. Cut that out. Save us five minutes. Uh, and like, let this thing keep moving because, uh, you mentioned like, is it, is, is, uh, agent H the, the main character of the movie is there agent M right. They don't really know. It's like, for me, it seemed like it was very, it was M is who they ultimately landed on 100% cause she has some, like she's the one we start with and for mm-hmm. the most part end with. And like H is just kind of there. Um, but I don't know. It was pretty disappointing overall. And again, I still found some enjoyment in it, but it just, you know, it's not what it needs to be Mm -hmm. if they're going to make more. That Hemsworth scene really feels like a studio ad. Yeah. Where they're like, well, it's actually a, it's a, you know, it's him and her, not just her. And I feel like the movie got stolen from Tessa Thompson in in some ways. Because she does have like some of that like swagger that like Will Smith had in the first movie where it's like, it's not quite up to that level because, well, Will Smith is like, just on a different level uh, at, at this point. But like it, there's also that fish out of water element to him where he's like, uh, aliens, what? And like Molly doesn't have that because she's known about them since she was a child and has been chasing this for 20 years. Yeah. Um, but like, I like that drive. I like that passion for this. And then her like confidence to do it. Like her, the way she like, she tricks Hemsworth into getting involved with the mission, even though he mm-hmm. calls her bluff on it. And he's like, Oh, well, she can speak your language. fluently." She's like, uh, yeah, I'm just really trying to process the best way to respond to you. Yes. It's because she clearly doesn't know mm-hmm. any of this language. And so it's just like, like there, there are moments to this that are, that could have been really good, but then the execution of it all just really falls flat. Yeah. Like if, if, it's, an, if it's an origin story and like front loads that into the first five minutes or 10 minutes of the film and you're like, okay, now it's just all about like, here's the big thing. You're a full agent. Here we go. Right. Probationary period or whatever. So at the end, and man, it just never gets there. It seems like, this this could have been better if like Agent O Emma Thompson's character just like sent H or sent M to London for like her first mission, but like she like O doesn't communicate to her that there's like this worry about you know this uh, this mole or whatever like mm-hmm. so something's not right about London and she just goes there for a mission, completes it, and then like that's the whole focus of this movie is that one mission and saving the world, not saving all of MIB, the London branch and the world at the same time. Yeah. It's just like, there's just too much going on where it's like, if anything, like you save that mole thing for the second movie and be like, tease that at the end. Cause that would be like kind of interesting. Like instead of splitting them up, <laughs> be like, all right, see you later. Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> it had, yeah. It had, it had, it takes all, it takes its half baked layers, throws them onto a cake, ices it up, sticks a fork in it and says, here you go. And then, you know, you transport it to, like, on Next Rate Baker, it all falls apart, and they get an F from the judges. <laughs> it was a great analogy. Or in this case, a 1.5. 
<laughs> take it stuff. Take it stuff. Um, I mean, I briefly mentioned it. There is some, like, they leave the door open for a sequel, obviously, because both those characters are still around. Mm-hmm. Um, H is now the new probationary head of the London branch. Yep. M goes back to New York, but she's going to take a few days off to spend with H and mm-hmm. take him back to London after going back to, uh, going to Paris. So it's like there, there's like somewhat like, you know, there's, there's seeds you could, you know, you know, take and run with a sequel. If it gets there, the movie opened to a hundred million dollars worldwide. So it's potentially going to make enough money to warrant one. It just comes down to them, whether or not Sony will view $300 million at the box office of like, yep, let's make another one. Cause right. that was good enough for us. Just barely breaking even. And if not, then like, where do we go from here? Is this the end of the MIB franchise what like are you interested in a sequel or do you want something else instead? I mean, the, 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 if anything, the path for the sequel is you slip Will Smith in somewhere because yep. it's moderately successful, and then that generates the whole hype. Will Smith on his way to some kind of renaissance, maybe Gemini Man. A lot is staked on Gemini Man for him. I mean, he's got a lot of buzz off Aladdin. So yeah, yeah. So like, why not? Would you? Why would you not try to drop him in? I mean, the next movie is him and Tessa, Tessa Thompson, like, right? Right, that'd be great. I think so. Um, I'm I'm skeptical that will happen. And, of course. And well, I mean, I'm skeptical if a sequel will happen at all because I don't think barely breaking even is what Sony wants from a Men in Black movie, especially when it opens to less than thirty million dollars domestically. Like you have to change something up. So whether it is injecting it with Will Smith, um, that could be the answer. But I think that's going to really depend on Gemini Man, like you mentioned. But also Bad Boys Three, right. when that opens up in January. Because there's like a lot of people are like, oh, Independence Day two sucked and failed because it wasn't with, didn't have Will Smith and people are saying the same thing about MIB because it was again flopped at the box office, didn't get good reviews, and it was out with Will Smith. Will Smith and it's like that that could be one of the factors. But then if Bad Boys three comes out in next January, opens to twenty million dollars and makes less than a hundred and fifty worldwide, it's like uh right the, like that the, the, there's a, there's not a direct correlation there that yeah. you can apply to mib yeah. like do you would is mib a flop is it a failure i i don't without i mean critical consensus aside critic i mean i mean if we're not going critical consensus like are we going financially a flop yeah. is it financially i think a i flop? think it's financially going to be a flop domestically international which you know maybe what sony ultimately wants based on the title it that's probably going to be where it becomes successful enough um, and then I could see them maybe just like going full in and be like, all right, well now we're just, we're going all in international. We'll introduce another new branch or we'll focus all entirely on London or we'll go to Africa or Russia or China or something to like bolster the box office in some other way. Cause I think it, its biggest overseas market was China, which I think had a bigger really? opening there than did domestically. Yeah. So I could see a full, Oh, now H and M have to go to China for some reason. And guess who's stationed over there for some reason, you know? Will Smith's character. There we go. And it's like, oh, now those three characters are on a mission, and you get some other new Chinese agent to come in there, and then boom, we're you know looking more profitable in China. We're more looking more profitable internationally, and that's mm-hmm. how we go forward. I could really see that happening, but again, I at this point, I'm not ready to say that a sequel is definitely going to come because this movie could have huge drops next weekend with toy story four opening and uh you know every, all, and every other movie that's coming out after that so uh it's it's going to be an uphill battle for mib i won't say no to another movie with thompson and 
I almost called her Valkyrie. Uh, 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 or no, I almost called Hemsworth. Yeah, jeez. There you I go. I was like, wait, who did I say? Oh, there was uh, real quick on that though in the Marvel connection. There, there is a there is a very clever little um, Chris Hemsworth gets his hammer moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, in a fight scene, he's he's struggling for a weapon and he picks up a hammer and he's like, "Oh yeah, this feels right or yeah. this is better." I think is what he says, and I'm like, "Okay, that's really meta." Yeah, no, that, yeah, that, I mean, that's a good moment. So yeah, I mean, I won't say no to more Hemsworth and Thompson on screen in MIB uh, in the future, but yeah, if I had to guess, it'll probably be if we get another one, there'll be uh and now Will Smith is back, or it's we'll revitalize that MIB 23 crossover yeah. and get Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum in here for sure, uh, which I would be all down. I'd be totally down for because I think that premise would be excellent especially if it was from lord and miller like writing and directing um i think that movie could be exactly what both of those franchises need at this point so yeah, that, that's a really interesting concept too when you think about it like they really wanted to push for something big and family friendly or family-ish friendly mm-hmm. um i think there's like those whatever those bug-like creatures were joking about neuralizing themselves and or something like that <laughs> and it's very clear it's not what they mean but you know perhaps financially a 23 jump street mib 23 jump street like you know that that crossover looks more uh i don't know successful it yeah. probably would be i don't know the final the, the numbers on it but, but like if, if like that movie happened and they keep because like the one thing that's gonna probably going to save mib international is that it has the lowest budget of the series with like under 100 million dollars um so if they could do mib 23 for around that same price point uh ground a little bit more maybe you know do something crazy with the mythology and connecting those worlds together like there's fun to be had there and yeah i don't know if it would be a 500 million dollar worldwide movie because we'll talk about that in our big question you know this week of what what can studios really do with the box office nowadays um but i i just i don't know what is next for this so i uh, think it's very vague and it'll take some reworking I mean, I don't think, if anything, uh, I think we'll either get like a sequel in the next three years or this franchise goes on the shelf for uh, another like eight or nine years. And then they're like, all right, now we'll reboot them again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here's some here's some other new idea. So um, I, I'm pretty positive I know the answer to this question. Will Josh watch this movie again? No, <laughs> he will not. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I will be revisiting it anytime soon. Uh, the only way I probably will is if, you know, we do get that sequel. And I'm like, you know what? Let's give this another chance. Mm-hmm. Check it out again with, you know, three years later. See how, see if anything's changed. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, but that is all we have for our view of MIB International. I give it two and a half ticket stubs out of five. Josh gives it one and a half ticket stubs out of five. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. back with the news and as always we start with our three main topics this week kicking off with a new movie heading to netflix which has actually been in development for a while that being the division movie the adaptation of the video game franchise uh ubisoft announced this at e3 this past week that the division movie starring jake jill and jessica chastain and directed by david leach has been acquired by netflix there's no new information on when it's going to film or when uh you know what the actual 
the actual plot is going to be about or anything, but uh, we now know that it has a home and Netflix typically does not buy a property that they are going to sit on for a while. So if anything, this will probably move fairly quickly. I don't believe Jake or Chastain have anything that immediate on the horizons. And once David Leach is done with Hobbs and Shaw uh, this fall, I don't think he has anything else pressing on his schedule either. So this could move very quickly, start production at the end of the year, be out next year on Netflix. But Josh, this is one project we've been kind of waiting on for a while. Going to Netflix, is that the right landing spot? Yeah, it's the right landing spot. It's the correct landing spot. It's the inevitable landing spot for this movie. Um, Kristen Lopez uh, wrote something for Zimbu, Zimbu, Zimbio. I don't okay. know. Um, and it was t- titled like like I thought of this at the moment, like the Island of Misfit Movies, and that's the perfect place for this division movie. <laughs> it's not so much that the idea wouldn't work. I mean, Gerard Butler somehow manages to weasel and get made these just disastrous action movies from Geostorm to so, Angel Has Fallen. Yeah. Now is that the next one? Yep. I think. Okay, great, and. Like, those are the, like, low-brow, high-concept movies that just somehow keep showing up mm-hmm. year after year, but with this dude. Um, the other one, Den of Thieves, was another yes. one. They are just like, how did that... And they're making that? a sequel. <laughs> right. And so, somehow, though, some way, we never get movies like this, you know, in the theater, where there are mm-hmm. actors that we actually kind of like I mean like right. we like a lot more how about that we love Jake Gyllenhaal we love Jessica Chastain the division idea in city um, that's dead been decimated and people are out there just scrapping like that sci-fi thing that Netflix loves to get their claws on and so of course they wanted it but also it's not a film that studios take to the theaters and so I don't know what Netflix is going to do with this movie um, but it's not going to be as grand as whatever studio Sony. Uh, I don't even remember if it was. Uh, I don't know who partnered with Activision. Oh, uh, or with Ubisoft. Ubisoft, thank you. Let's do a little look here. Um, I, I am not was sure. Was it a project without a studio? I think because I, th- I think Ubisoft, like many other uh, video game they cast studios, and then they started their own like film studio mm-hmm. um, and have been developing this as a project to then find a studio then to go set it with. So I, don't, I as far as I can see, yeah, it had yet to be found like an actual uh, studio to find its home. So instead this came out of, you know, Ubisoft doing, you know, developing the Assassin's Creed game uh, into a movie and all their other stuff they've been doing. So okay. um, that is where this stemmed from. So, but this movie has been in development for uh, almost three years. We've been talking about it yeah. for a while. I think it's, it's, it's like one of, our, yeah, one of our oldest episodes is when we first talked about Jessica, Jessica Chastain being cast in the movie. We're That's like, right. this sounds great. Jake mm-hmm. Gyllenhaal, Jessica Chastain. Wow, this movie has got to be one of the hottest things on the market probably. And then, you know, yeah, it like sits for three years. Four terrible, terrible-ish Jessica Chastain movies later. Some Jake Gyllenhaal um, miscellaneous properties. Uh-huh. And we're like... Where's that movie that we were actually kind of like <laughs> right? kind of excited about to stick them together? Um, and so it's coming. That's good. It's cool. Mm-hmm. But it's also sort of like, oh, yeah, that's right. Netflix buys buys things that have potential, but their potential never gets realized. I mean, that, that's kind mm-hmm. of where I'm at with this. Yeah, sure, it's I good can, and bad. Right. I can see that approach to it. But I think the good thing about it for the movie and for Netflix is that even though we both love Jake Gyllenhaal and Jessica Chastain, yes, can you really say any either of them are certified 
box office draws? No, eh, no, not. probably Which not. Is sad. But that that goes and this that thing may, that may not even exist anymore outside of you know a Will Smith, The Rock, um, and you know maybe a handful of other people's because even mm-hmm. you know as our main review we just talked about if Thor and Valkyrie can't open a movie beyond thirty million dollars domestically, they're part of the biggest franchise of all time coming straight off of Avengers Endgame. It's like yeah. You would think Mysterio and older Beverly from It Chapter 2 or, I mean, also from Dark Phoenix where she played Vuk, I think was her character's name. Like That sounds right. Uh, like, I've already forgotten. Yeah, like that movie. It's already left my memory. Um, Academy Award winning? No. Uh, Chastain? Did she win Zero Dark Thirty? I don't remember. And then Joan Hall has just been nominated one time. Um, should be twice, um, but, you know. That's uh, the Academy's fault for not recognizing the greatness that is Nightcrawler. Um, but I do think this is good news, ultimately, not only because this movie is just nominee. To, she's just a nominee? Yeah, sorry. That's. I mean, it'll happen one day. You have to imagine both of them will win an Oscar at some point. So, um, But I, I do really like this because that, again, this movie is not going to be a giant box office draw, probably, unless they delivered this incredible trailer and it's like well we got to go see this but yeah the division franchise is one of like the best-selling video game properties so it has a big fan base to it and you know all those people now are going to have are likely have access to netflix have an account and you know next year two years from now when that movie is you know pops up on the featured tab of netflix is not starting today the division movie and it's jessica chastain jake gyllenhaal um and I don't even like um, Jason Statham or like somebody else sure. like pairing up there. And it's like from the director of Hobbs and Shaw, from the director of Atomic Blonde. You're like, wow, okay. This sounds great. It's a property I love, people mm-hmm. I love, a director who's really good. And now this thing can like be a big hit. Wait a minute. Is David Leach attached to this movie? Yeah. Oh, See again, that's even more reason to be frustrated about this. Oh yeah, I know. Think about like for I mean, I mean like like because think about it this way: potential is the biggest thing. And David Leach, no, mind you, can do a lot with a little. Mm-hmm. Him and Chad Stileski made John Wick that first one together. Or I mean, coordinated, right? Whatever, whatever they did, they were both on that project. And then they've gone their separate ways, and they're proving themselves to be exceptional way across the board. But I mean, can you imagine though? Can you? Um, I think I talked a while ago about um, how just like there's there's an unpolishedness or there's a, to the Netflix originals, mm-hmm. and the difference between the division being one of those being more than just another video game film versus being another Netflix original that'll be dropped on there with maybe some fanfare but maybe not some at all will be like wow that's not terrible or whatever the case mm-hmm. is. It, it's 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 hard to conceptualize or it's hard to um, put to words right now in this exact moment, but there's 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 a queasiness to it that I think is going to be lost when we make that transfer when that transfer happens, and so like it's not that I'm I hate it the movie's going to get made because these are all three great people, but uh, I mean I think the end result though is going to be something a little more disappointing. And just just because it's at Netflix? Just or? because it's at Netflix. Hmm. There is something there is something about Netflix movies that doesn't happen to all of them, with a couple one exception being Cargo, the other being The Ritual, where you have a full dreadful film or a full like fully realized. Mm-hmm. There's something half baked about Netflix originals. 
a lot of the times. Roma, I mean, yeah. obviously, that, being that, excluded. That, yeah, that's a different case because that, that was something that Corone made and then Netflix acquired. Mm-hmm. So they're not involved in the development of that. They're just involved in the distribution of it. For sure. And maybe this will be different with Ubisoft. I don't know. I don't know what David Leach has got up his sleeves, of course. But there's there's something to be said about this. And um, then the, the there's a quality loss, and I don't just mean the video compression. You know, when you stream <laughs> it, okay? It's it. Uh, I don't, maybe I have to think about that more and say it clear. But I just I there's there's something there's it's great, but it's also like uh, this could have been something more. I think. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I I'm not trying to prejudge. No. Yeah. Like I I get that with a sense of like I would have preferred to see this movie on the big screen, and maybe a Netflix would do one of those slow rollouts where they do it in select theaters, but it's not coming to Fort Wayne, Indiana. So I'm not going to see it there anyways. For sure. So like this really just ultimately comes down to like, if this movie was going to get made, because it seems like no other studio wanted it or would probably foot the bill for what David Leach wanted to do. Um, But like if they're, if Netflix is willing to pay $150 million or something for Michael Bay's six underground movies, just so him and Ryan Reynolds can go all across the world, do this, these giant action set pieces, then maybe they'll let like, David Leach and Chastain and uh, Hall do the same thing here at the, the division. Maybe they'll scale it back and they'll go really small, really intimate, and they can keep this low budget. But again, what we don't know what Netflix like needs for this movie to be a success. Right. Ultimately, what they want, regardless of what budget they spend, is for them to be able to send out a tweet on the Monday after it drops and say, for the last you know, 72 hours, mm-hmm. the division has been our top streaming movie with over 40 million, um, you know, views. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's huge. Big success. Just like bird box. Right. Um, just like how they've been promoting how, when they see us, uh, has been a huge hit for them it's very good. Uh, with Ava DuVernay directing that series. So, uh, that's ultimately what they want. They want eyes on it. They want chatter. Um, even if that probably fades out very quickly, um, I think, the division has just enough to hopefully be a success on Netflix. We shall see. We will. Um, We may not, however, see an Ant-Man three as Paul Rudd was talking to Yahoo this past week. And he said that he does not know if Ant-Man three is going to happen. Uh, He mentioned that, you know, maybe fans should start an online campaign uh, to make Ant-Man three happen. Um, But I'm pretty sure that was mostly made in jest. Um, But do we need an Ant-Man three? I think that's the question here. Whether we don't know whether that's going to happen, I would probably bet on the positive side of yeah, it'll probably happen. Um, but do we need one? I, I, do you need any sequels anymore? I mean, fair enough. Like, I guess the kind of like the, the here's something interesting. I guess I mean maybe I'm jumping ahead of us because you mentioned something like this here um, before um, in the you know the pre-show, but the MCU doesn't need sagas or trilogies anymore. Mm-hmm. Because the characters are so interconnected, yeah. So you, I don't think you need an Ant Man three specifically, unless there's something important about Scott Lang's character that is also important to the MCU at large to mm-hmm. warrant a movie. Because I think that's kind of what we've moved into post Endgame. I think it's kind of what Kevin Feige has said in so many words um, that team up movies are dead and if you want to see your mo- your person you have to go to the spider-man movie to see ant-man or the like the insects are us you know film team up or whatever the case is uh i want a, a paul rudd centric movie mm-hmm. but i don't think it's vital anymore no you know what i mean yeah no i do i do know what you mean because i mean i've been on even i mean 
other than like that 5% of me was just like, you know, maybe Paul Rudd dies in Endgame. I don't know. I could see, I could, I'm not counting that out completely. Sure. Um, and if they're not making Ant-Man 3, it's like, well, you know, maybe you just should have done that anyways. Um, but uh, I don't know if it would really add to the story or how it would have happened, but what that's beside the point. The, 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 the thing is here, you know, Ant-Man then became Ant-Man and the Wasp. So like, what would you even do for a third film? Would it be Ant-Man and the Wasp 2? Because, I mean, you could call it Ant-Man 3 in the shorthand for now, but, like, or would it be Ant-Man and the Wasp and Stature? Yeah. Uh, and that's how Cassie Lang gets involved. It's like, that's just such a long, wordy title. Do you really need to do that? Um, and I think the the assumption that Ant-Man 3 is going to happen has largely just been based on how Marvel Studios has operated for the last 11 years, right. where it's like Iron Man gets a trilogy, Captain America gets a trilogy, Thor gets a trilogy, the Avengers get at least a trilogy, but now it becomes four movies. Um the Guardians are getting a trilogy, and it's like it just seems like you know, Black Panther will probably get one, Captain Marvel will probably get one, Doctor Strange will probably get one, Spider Man is probably going to get one. Uh, it just seems like that's how they operate. Um, but you know, do we really need an Ant Man three? I would, I don't really see why we do. And I think uh, you mentioned like you know, do we even need MCU trilogies anymore? Like, is that something that like needs to happen? Yeah. Um, and if like, we're, if we're not getting that with Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp was the end of that, I think the only good thing to come out of that would just be like, well, the, it would be a good news if it means we're getting like Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly still, it'd yes. be very bad news if it was just like, well, that franchise is over, those characters on the back burner for the next five years. Like, wait, what? No, right. I want to see much more of Evangeline Lily's Wasp. Like, yes. Please, I want to see much more of Paul Rudd's Ant-Man. Uh, I want to see more of that family dynamic there they have. Um, and I think you can still accomplish all those, but like do them in other people's movies because mm-hmm. it's like, what else do we really have to go through with these characters? That's the ultimate question here. Um, and, you know, as somebody who's on the outside looking into the to the inner workings of Marvel Studios, I'm just not really sure. Like, where else do you go? Like, they've mentioned, that, like, you know, a third film would probably explore more of the quantum realm, but it's like, I mean, okay, but, like, the what? The quantum realm did its job for right, Endgame, right? Right, like, it, it, it served its purpose. Like, yeah, there's that city in the background of Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is like, oh, maybe people live in there that are other superheroes, like it's the Fantastic Four or Black Knight or other heroes. You could pull them out, but, like, you could also do that same plot and, like, inside another movie mm-hmm. like you could do like yes and that's where i would probably like if we're not getting ant-man and the wasp third ant-man the wasp two ant-man three whatever you want to call it um i think it could be it could allow for these characters to go in very interesting directions like i would personally really like to see a young avengers movie incorporate cassie lang incorporate iron iron heart uh kate bishop hulk hulkling um all these different characters um but then you know, they are, they are just teenage heroes. Like, they need somebody to lead them. Who better than Ant-Man and Wasp? Like, have them be the the veterans leading this young team. And, like, they're training them. They're training a young generation of heroes because Evangeline Lilly's already trained Ant-Man. Ant-Man can now train his daughter. Um, and then Evangeline Lilly can just, like, focus on training all the other people. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a really interesting way to go. And then you can still be like, oh, guys, we need to go to the quantum realm. Um, and now we have these quantum suits. So you can all shrink down with us. Yeah. So... I think there's a lot of easy workarounds to keep these characters around without having to do an Ant-Man 3. Um, and even though the franchise has made over a billion dollars between the two films, you know, there's still not these like 800, 900 million dollar, a billion dollar movies on their own. They're like, you know, 500, 600, 650, which are still very like they're, they're good. They're successful for their budgets. Um, but it just comes down to, you know, is that really if Marvel Studios is putting in 150 million dollars for these movies, is that what they want? 
I would say probably not. Yeah, right. Exactly. And then that's kind of like thing too, like Marvel sequ- Marvel films and sequels, especially like in the um, in the aftermath of those like event tentpole films, get like boosts. And Ant Man and the first one, the original. Mm-hmm. That came... Came right after Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron. But it still only did, like, what, $500 million yep. internationally? Um, and then, on the flip side, Ant-Man and the Wasp did... Did, like, 640, 640 I think. internationally? Okay. And that and was... When you're saying internationally, you mean, like, worldwide. Worldwide, yes. yes. Um, Post-Infinity War, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yep. And so, you're like, okay, that's pretty good. But then, you flip over to Captain Marvel, who's just getting their debut... And rockets past a billion dollars, which is insane mm-hmm. for so many reasons. Black Panther, not his introduction, but still his first solo movie. His first solo movie rockets past a billion dollars, and then you look at Ant Man and you're like, can you rocket past a billion dollars? Not even with the before or after boosts of you know, or the the aftermath boosts of uh, two very big films. Mm-hmm. No, you can't. And so you just focus on a new property and see if you can spit that past a billion and then you run with it there, right? Probably. I think the only way, like if, if that's Marvel's ultimate mindset is how do we get, if we're going to do Ant-Man 3, how do we get to a billion dollars or close Mm -hmm. to it? It's including a lot more Marvel MCU stuff. Like whether it's including Hulk and you get more of Hulk and Ant-Man together, which was a fun dynamic in Endgame. You bring them together. Hulk can help science with them and do all that kind of fun stuff. Or you go, with somewhat of an unconventional route for Marvel, somewhat not, um, but you just have the Fantastic Four be in that quantum realm city, and Ant-Man 3 is about something, about going there to get something, and then coincidentally they find Reed Richards, Sue Storm, Johnny Storm, yeah. Ben Grimm, and then boom, it's the Fantastic Four making their debut in the MCU in Ant-Man 3. That is a weak, you cannot miss this movie, whereas otherwise... The Ant-Man movies, you, sure, you may be a little lost on the, all of the fundamentals of quant- of the quantum realm in Endgame, but if you don't see them, you know, you've seen Paul Rudd and you've seen Scott Lang in Captain America Civil War. Yeah. Wasp has like two minutes of screen time in Endgame. Like there's not that much relying on that franchise um, in terms of like what regular audiences need to know. But mm-hmm. if the Fantastic Four are going to be a flagship franchise and you're introducing them in the second half of Ant-Man 3 that's like the whole second half of that movie, then that instantly becomes you have to go see this movie. Yeah. And that's how you get to a billion. Peyton Reed loves those characters. Um, he was very close to directing a Fantastic Four movie back in the day. He still wants to do one, apparently. Um, but I think you can just mesh those ideas together, give him his Ant-Man 3, but also let him be the one who helps introduce the Fantastic Four and be like, oh, yeah, we've been stuck in here since 1960. What year is it? And Buddy, we have to tell you. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's uh, 2025. You're like, mm-hmm. what? Oh, and half the universe was snapped away by this giant green, or this giant purple alien, but now we saved them by going back in time, and then, you know, that would be a great, them back. That would be a great Louis catch-up for yeah. him, or, yeah, Louis to catch them up on that. <laughs> that. That would be the perfect time for it. So, I mean, yeah, at this point, I don't really believe we'll probably get one. I think it'll be, if we do get one, it'll be like that where we're, we're introducing some major concept or some major characters. So it's like, we're going to really try to drive this up in the hype bar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a pro it'll be a property in service to something else. Yeah. And if that's the case, we don't get Ant-Man three. Um, you know, is that kind of the kickoff of what can come next for the MCU? Or it's like, we're not beholden to trilogies as like, okay, well we're introduced this character. We're giving them a standalone movie. They have to do a trilogy. Yeah. 
because I think that's probably where we're going. Like Black Widow, that's a prequel movie, and <laughs> there's only so much you can really do with that character right. um, based on how her fate uh, fell in Avengers Endgame. Hulk didn't get a trilogy. That's you know more complicated because of you know Universal. Um, but then like there's discussions of Thor four. So it's like that franchise is is extending beyond a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And so I think what really Marvel should be worrying about, and I think that is what they ultimately do worry about is what is best for these characters for the franchise isn't necessary and if they view ant-man 3 as unnecessary but they view thor 4 as necessary then you know let that happen let that move forward and let ant-man and these other characters be incorporated into other projects for sure so uh let's move on to a different marvel movie that did not happen uh, officially as THR got their hands on a script for a solo beast movie that was being developed by editor john ottman and his assistant byron byron Burton, uh, this is a movie uh, that was in development at you know a couple years ago as uh, Ottman kind of wiped his hand clean with the franchise after X-Men Apocalypse um, was over, um, but this movie would have been a $90 million budget, it would have starred Nicholas Holt's Beast, it would have been set in the 80s, it would have featured Professor X, Wolverine, a bunch of different uh, mutants, and been a solo movie for Beast, Josh, uh, the full script is online, so anybody can go out there and read the whole 100-page yes. uh, script. You did not get a chance to do that. I did not get a chance to do Which that. Which I don't fault you for. It's, I mean, it's kind of like the homework for the show that is I didn't it? do. It kind of. I almost didn't even include it in the rundown, so uh, you almost true. would have been safe. So. Um, that, yes, absolutely. But I do want to talk about it, though, and I, mean, I did bring it up because uh-huh. the idea is interesting, and it's just like the final signal, I guess, in the aftermath of Dark Phoenix that it's we're clearing house at Fox's you know, Marvel division. <laughs> right. And like the script for the beast movie was just like probably tossed on the back of like a, a truck or something like that. Oh, and we're probably a THR reporter just like, what's this? Well, the, uh, it's a PDF though. So yeah, the assistant, uh, Byron Burton, who wrote the script for Ottman mm-hmm. based on his idea is a contributor for the Hollywood reporter. <laughs> <laughs> so they have that connection there, yeah. but this, like it does point to a fact that like, well, clearly, you know, Marvel is not worried about, or Fox and we're about, hey, well, maybe Marvel wants to use this. So it's like, no. Yeah, no Kevin hex. Feige is like, throw everything out the window. We're not using it. Like, okay, THR, you can publish this mm-hmm. whole script. Why not? Yeah, no hex are being given. It's, no. it's just like, I don't know. If, if even that, if it was just sort of like, well, this has nothing to do with anything. So, voila, it's fan fiction now or something like mm-hmm. that rather than something um, paid for in studio or whatever the case is. Uh, but like, number one, so th- that's kind of like the big thing here is just sort of like, it's really the end. Yeah. There's no, this would not be out in the world this no. early if it was something that they wanted to still make. Mm-hmm. Um, it shows, it shows some optimism, some belief that, Oh, maybe, maybe. And then no, not <laughs> at all. It's, um, it's gone. It's dusted. But I do like the concept going on here. I do find that really interesting. You have read the mm-hmm. thing in its entirety. What can you tell us about the, ill-fated beauty and the beast or the beast film <laughs> yeah uh fear the x-men fear the beast as yes. it was tentatively titled um yeah i, I mentioned before we started coining there's a lot of similarities to beauty and the beast uh the incredible hulk and the thing so that's like that's a very weird mishmash mm-hmm. of a movie that i think on paper sounds pretty interesting it would have been like a nice middle chapter to come in between probably apocalypse and dark phoenix that's probably where it would have fallen in the timeline or um the production schedule too um the movie opens with like this cold opening of this uh beast in attacking this uh uh inkian village of people um and killing um you know this older brother and uh you know the people being terrorized of it and then we flash back to uh 
New York City, uh, specifically in uh, shoot, what's the uh, the big place with all the billboards? Uh, Times Square. Times Square. Wow. There we go. It's one of those days um, where <laughs> they uh, the this organization, Friends of Humanity, uh, come out and attack. Uh, started attacking people with these giant metal robots and mystique is in a school bus with other kids like an x-men named jubilee um and mystique and jubilee start fighting these robots and all of a sudden storm cyclops gene and beast arrive to take down these giant uh Ooh. robots beast starts losing control cyclops is semi-leading the team which is an interesting twist um gene and storm both use their powers as well uh, but then when beast starts losing control uh, everything freezes around them because they're in the danger room and it's a simulation. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of mirroring on the opening of X three where they open with a danger room sequence. Yeah. Um, which I think would have been a, it sounds like a really cool action sequence um, to start off with anyways. And then we learn that Beast is struggling to maintain uh, control of his um, his mind when he's in his Beast form. Um, so then we also learn that he has been helping another mutant with the same uh, mutation um, named Doctor Paul Cartier. Uh, who has the same mutation where he becomes this white wolf-like creature uh, when he mutates and loses control. Um, And it turns out that um, Hank McCoy, Beast, has been sending him this uh, anti-serum to repress his uh, Mm. mutation so he doesn't lose control. But then this doctor reverses the serum to increase his power to study it, uh, loses control completely, becomes this uh, villain named Wendigo, this giant white wolf creature that starts terrorizing Canada. Um, Hank goes there to meet him. He starts, um, you know, he meets the family uh, that the, uh, that the boy who died in the, uh, in the opening of the movie um, gets killed by. Um, we, we, he, he, he is a fought by Wendigo. He gets defeated at first. He gets healed using Logan's blood, uh, which is kind of an interesting twist. Cause it's, it's, it's unclear if it's actually, wolverine's blood or if it's like if I, it's kind of unclear in the script it's um, like it's like it's like very heavy-handed like this is logan's house he lives here and there's blood right here from him and well no he's not it, here right now no because he's, it's, a, he's it, getting firewood or something it's not it's not that it's just like they say it's logan's blood which i don't know if but it's it's a it's a positive logan's blood so and it helps heal him so i'm assuming it's wolverine's blood but it's very it's, it's definitely not clear that it is actually wolverine's blood so that, that's, that is one lingering question that I have from the script. Um, but Wolverine is in the movie. Uh, we intro with him, similar to the very first X-Men, where he's in a cage fight, uh, but he's much younger. This would have been a recast situation where we would have had somebody else other than Hugh Jackman play the role, uh, which would have then helped push the franchise along uh, further, which would have been very interesting. Uh, he then gets recruited by uh, Xavier to go help My Hank because goodness. he knows that Hank is in trouble. So... Wolverine goes to Canada uh, with his brown and gold suit from the comics with a mask uh, to go help Hank fight off Wendigo. Um, But uh, we also learned that, you know, uh, in order to do this, Hank is like a third of the size of Wendigo because Wendigo is this huge beast Mm -hmm. because of the the reversal of the antiserum that has increased his powers. So then Beast has to increases his own powers he becomes what they call in the script as mega beast becomes uh twice his size darker in color and quote a true force of nature um and then him and wolverine team up to fight wendigo it goes into a chainsaw mill uh we're like we're woodcutters you know obviously in that scenario wolverine ends up on the conveyor belt he's about to get his hair cho- his head chopped off uh when one of the locals stops the machine they, they both defeat Wendigo. The X-Men arrive, of course, after this is all completed. 
help uh, fix the town. Mm-hmm. Um, Nightcrawler is there too. So uh, again, this is probably post-apocalypse, um, but he's not in that opening mission. Uh, and the rest of the, the team went off to uh, like an island or something to go on a different mission while Hank stayed back during uh-huh. this time. Uh, so that's why they're not around during the main portion of this movie. Uh, but then Wolverine does not stay with the team at the end. He leaves, go off on his own, but there's like this, uh, this hint of a relation of like him and Gene catching each other's eye, liking each other, um, and you know setting up for future Oy. installments. So there's a lot in here that's and like the action is very uh, gruesome. The Wolver- Wolverine's got a one like a lot of like very quick one-liners, uh, quips. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it seems, in my opinion, to be a very solid movie. Uh, it, unfortunately, it didn't get made. Obviously, that's why we're talking yeah. about it now. Um, but. I think it could have been a very interesting addition. Push it into an R-rated territory, maybe. Uh, put it out, you know, in 2017. Uh, you know, a year after Apocalypse, and let Beast kind of take a spotlight. And this could have totally changed the Fox franchise. It certainly sounds like something that was written on the back of James Marigold, Deadpool, and um, New Mutants in a lot of ways. Where like, let's try something crazy and new. Logan gets written, gets made. Uh, exceptional or well deadpool first i suppose yes and then logan greenlit and sent forward like immediately after almost yeah, very immediately very after. quickly afterwards very quickly after back in out in march the next year and then new mutants is on its way around before the boom reshoots and all that jazz mm-hmm. get, comes through and then this thing gets written probably somewhere around that same time i got to imagine before mm. i mean because apocalypse is right around the corner after that Right after Logan, right? Uh, Apocalypse was before Logan. It was the okay. year before. Yeah. And then or two years before. else? But it's in, no, that, year before. it's in that succession where we're like, let's try everything. Yeah. And they're having success. And so that absolutely sound, sounds like Logan in a lot of ways. I mean, like literally and figuratively, like I don't know what character development it's got for Hank and the, all of those things. I mean, he, he falls in love with one of the locals there. So that like splits off the romance between him and Mystique for the most part. Um, so there would have been a lot of interesting ways that this would have then affected Dark Phoenix, the movie that we got. Like would Beast still be Mega Beast? Like that would mm-hmm. be a very big change, obviously. Yeah. Uh, we we would have got to see more of the, like, the young team together working trying to become a team like get some more interpersonal relationships with them which i think would have helped that movie a lot um but the reason the main reason that this movie did not is involving the main franchise uh characters and the storylines it had to be approved by simon director and producer on dark phoenix and he was basically like you know what i i'm working on it and now it's never made so uh lastly the movie ended with a post credit sort of tease or a very end of the movie tease uh, that would have revealed that Mr. Sinister, uh, a, a very big X-Men villain, has been kind of watching all of this unfold. Um, and that, uh, you know, Burtman and, or uh, what was his name? Burton and uh, Ottman also revealed to THR that if things had gone according to plan and gone well, they also had plans to do an, an Omega Red film uh, in the future as well. So they had very big plans for this. Um, it just never transpired. Ooh, the scarred man smirks. That's the line. Yeah, <laughs> where they're like, "He is Mister Sin." I love, I love script reveals because they're all they're all very like childlike. Oh yeah, he is very he is Mister Sinister, and uh, this this funny stuff. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's just kind of how the language it's just how is. it goes. Yeah, right. It's a language of how you do those things. But um, yeah, it, it's 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 a uh, it's a emblem of them trying to be something more. Mm-hmm. It's something that, like I don't know, like accomplished an adult sense it's 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 doing what Zack Snyder can was not able to do 
in an effective way. Well, and we don't know that. We don't know that, but Deadpool, Deadpool 2, and Logan are those things. And New Mutants is probably, hopefully, we'll see when it comes out next year. Yeah, as of right now. <laughs> as of right now. Um, we'll see what that becomes. How cool would that be if New Mutants is MCU canon? I, I would love if they retrofit it because I love that cast. Um, I just don't see how that's possible, though. Yeah, me too. Unfortunately. But. Rest in peace, X-Men. That's right. Uh, let's move on Long to... Long live X-Men. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll live on now. The X-Men are dead. MCU. Long live the X-Men. Exactly. Uh, let's move on, though. Two ticket or skip it here. There's only two trailers to choose between this week. The second trailer for Frozen 2 and the first trailer for Doctor Sleep. Josh, which one gets your ticket this Ooh, week? Give me some Ambien, because I love the Doctor Sleep trailer. Um, like, I enjoy the... Um, Shining? The Shining. Thank you. Stanley Kubrick's movie that Stephen King hates. And it's fun. It's watching Jack Nicholas work in a lot of ways and the terrorizing and just the colors. Kubrick's eye is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Here, we have all of that again. Like, there's these deep, hollow, like, long shots. And at the center of all of them is Ian McGregor, <laughs> who I love. And then there's Rebecca Ferguson, who's here as well. And. Uh, it's just moody and dark and like seems to be like it's about haunting it's not like haunting in your head but also haunting at the return to the hotel and all of these things and i'm just so excited for it <laughs> I, I i cannot wait it's dark it's blue it's cold and that's more in line with what stephen king wanted and i'm excited for that yeah i mean i think it looks uh excellent uh, mike flanagan the director looks like he's gonna knock out the park here i have not seen haunting of, of hill house yet on netflix but i did watch gerald's game which he directed which is another stephen king adaptation um and i thought that was very good i think we talked about that on the podcast yes, I was really grossed out about it. the handcuff sequence mm-hmm. uh which was disgusting um but like it looks very cool uh you McGregor looks like he's gonna have uh some fun with this role there's a lot of really great recreations of sequences from The Shining because there's a lot of, oh, that that's that scene from The Shining. Oh, that's that other scene from The Shining. But other than the blood elevator doors, all of those shots are recreated by Flanagan. So it just shows his eye for detail to recreate those things um, perfectly because they look just straight out of The Shining movie. So it looks uh, very interesting. I know that The Shining movie deviates from The Shining book quite a bit, which is why Stephen King does not like it. And it looks like they're going to play into some of those deviations for the movie in uh, this sequel here. Mm-hmm. So this is seems like more of a sequel to The Shining movie, uh, more so than possibly the book, which I've not read or anything. But uh, it looks like they're very closely following the uh, the canon of the movie more so than the book yeah. at this point. So um, I'm very sure to see it. Rebecca Ferguson looks great as the villain, uh, the red, the mad, what, what the Don't red mad something, something, something. But she's talking very maliciously to right. children or not the, maliciously, but she's like, they're, they're like the, tearing her limbs off or something. Yeah. It's like, it looks oh. gruesome. There's that great, like tilt shot where then the like, you like falls on the floor, mm-hmm. which I thought was really, really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it looks just really, really good. Warner Brothers has their hand on just all of the great horror and dark and twisted and vile things, and I'm so glad because they're they're just embracing the the genre is they're embracing the genre, and it's showing in this trailer. Yeah, and I love it. So let's move on to the flyby here. Actually, real quick, Frozen Two thoughts, real quick. Uh, fine, great. I mean, it's a story. <laughs> Where's the musical song? Because I thought we'd have a musical song by now. It's a lot more brooding than I expected. Frozen, uh, the marketing campaigns are far as to be, but um, you know, maybe it's more it's more mature on purpose because it's been 
six years since yes. the first movie? Yes. So they're and letting the audience mature with it? Yes. That's that's it. Exactly it. They're going to be teenagers now. So yeah. they need something a little bit more, uh, not pessimistic, but just substantive. And her parents are definitely still alive, right? They're definitely still alive. They're being definitely. held captive underneath the ocean by the evil warlock. In by, by, the, by the unicorn? <laughs> by the unicorn or something. I'm not sure. And then that plays into the Onworld universe. And oh, okay. Jake, uh, Tom Hollins is there. <laughs> All right. Know. Well, let's move on to the flyby here. Uh, THR reported this week that Matthew Aldrich, uh, the co-writer of uh, Pixar's Oscar-winning Coco movie, um, will oversee the uh, Chronicles of Narnia universe for Netflix. This will include both TV shows and movies that are all interconnected together. Um, I think Coco is one of Pixar's best movies, which is very high praise to say, obviously, because they've made a lot of great ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to see him be the one to tackle Kronk's Narnia, I'm very excited to see what he does, how this unfolds. It seems like it's going to be primarily movies with a couple of TV shows. Um, so uh, I just can't wait to see how they choose to adapt the source material. Yeah. I mean, you cannot, like, you get getting a thoughtful writer from Pixar has is just filled to the brim with thoughtful writers, and you're getting one with the Coco guy here, Matthew, and that's a great start. It's weird that that's just now at that point. Mm-hmm. We talked about this like six months ago, yeah, or something like that. It felt like six months mm-hmm. ago, maybe maybe a year at this point. I don't think it's that long. Ago. Okay, but so to lay out your universe to get things set to board and just prep, so. Yeah, bring it on. Good yeah. job. Uh, then Variety reported this week that Bradley Cooper is in early talks for the lead role of Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. This role was previously lined up for Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio, but it seemed like he had to pass due to scheduling and the deal not working out. So Bradley now is in early talks. It could go through. It could not. Do you want to see Bradley Cooper in a Guillermo del Toro movie? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but he's Yeah, please. He's ready to jump to genre again, and we're going to have fun with it. I think this will be his first genre movie, really. When you think about it, I mean, everything's a genre, right? but this is like the one with like, you know, lore and things like that. And cause he's just really done like, Oh, it's an action and it's mm-hmm. the rom-coms. Yeah. And then the Oscar movie. That's fair. The yeah. Other Oscar movies. So I'm excited, which I would assume this will probably be an Oscar movie. I mean, it's going to film later this year. It'll probably be out next award season. Um, I mean, Del Toro's fresh off of an Oscar nomination, an Oscar win for shape of water. Um, so, uh, I would not be surprised if Bradley Cooper with this, noir mystery detective sort of uh espionage uh thriller story uh, turns in an oscar worthy performance here so uh i'm very excited to see bradley get back in front of the camera yeah uh with del toro because obviously you know he was in front of the camera for himself in the star is born right but. it's certainly going to test the power of we don't give remakes oscar noms Sure, but I mean the 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 first one was like from nineteen forty something. Yeah, and really A Star old. Is Born was a remake. Cooper got nominated for That's that. That's a good point. So, um, yeah, the, the, he's breaking down those walls <laughs> for sure. Well, I hope so because uh, it sounds cool. Yes, for sure. Uh, we also had multiple sources reveal this week that uh, the King Richard biopic about the father of Serena, Serena and Venus Williams uh, has found a director in Ronaldo Re- Marcus Green. Uh, the movie will star Will Smith as the father and will hit theaters in late 2020, setting that movie up for an awards season push potentially as well if everything goes according to their plans. Um, I've not seen any of Green's directorial work. All I know is that he worked with uh, John David Washington in his one of his prior movies. So that's got to be good news because uh, John David Washington's great. Um, and but really to see him pair up with Will Smith to see this movie move forward because it'd probably be 
uh, some rich source material. I'm just happy to see this move forward at this point. Yeah, I can't speak to any of his films either. Um, a lot of shorts on his resume. The interview won my ticket. But there are a lot of like portraits of people, it seems like, at least mm-hmm. via reading the what they're about and sort of things <laughs> like that. And so if it's going to be about the man who... I mean, pushed, and I mean, we're, we're to find out what. I don't know the backstory on either of these people, but I imagine it's a little bit darker. Um, it's not going to be like a he's really great and he's good. It's going to be something like sort of like Rocket Man esque, where it's like the parents are evil or something like that. Right. But it's definitely going to be an Oscar thing, especially with Will Smith in there. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have Venus and Serena Williams probably on the press junket too. I imagine. Yeah. Just I, doing press for the movie when it's on, on its way out. It's just going to lead to an avalanche of things, and it's going to be high. It's going to be there. I think. Yeah, you'd hope so. Um, We also got a report from THR this week that Sam Rockwell and Paul Walter Hauser have been cast in Clint Eastwood's The Ballad of Richard Jewell. Kathy Bates has also joined the project according to Deadline. So uh, this movie is casting up very quickly. Uh, A very exciting cast as well. So uh, I'm excited to see Sam Rockwell and Paul Walter Hauser back in probably another awards contention movie. So uh, hats off to them. Yep, absolutely. Paul Hauser, like, I'm excited to see him get on screen again. He's really good in late night. So oh, it's awesome. out in theaters right now. So go check it out. Um, lastly here, Blumhouse uh, announced this past week that they're going to remake Black Christmas with Imogen Poots starring and Sophia Takal directing. Uh, the original, I believe, is regarded as one of the earliest slasher movies. So them remaking that is interesting. But it's also Blumhouse's first theatrically released um, movie directed by a female. And it'll hit theaters this Christmas. So that is very big news. It's going to move very quickly. I'm a big Imogen Poots fan, so uh, I've not seen any of Sophia's work, but uh, Blumhouse, you know, moving forward, pushing all of this forward along. Um, it's very good news. Yeah, I, m- m- that's an interesting fact of trivia that I did not know, and now I'm like way more interested in it. It's got like a, le- <laughs> it's got a legacy of being like first up. Yeah, and so I'm all about it. I'll definitely have to dive into. It. There's like four remakes. Or like there's there's been some more remakes of this, right? I'm not. I'm not sure. There's a lot of Black Christmas titles. Maybe they're like okay. one's actually like about a family, and it's sort of like you know it's a rom com. <laughs> Maybe and it's the only other thing. So I guess we'll see. There's like Black. I think one is like Black Christmas the night Billy came home or something like that. Okay. So maybe it's just like Billy's home. Like Ben is back spinoff or something. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but that's all I have for this week's episode. Next week, we'll be back with an interview of Toy Story 4 uh, with the early reactions are out now. They're very positive. Which is so crazy because I was so mean to this movie. <laughs> like I, just, I think a lot of people were. I, I mean, number one, why do we need it? But that got distinguished pretty quickly when they casted it up. I'm like, okay, bring it on. You need to sell me. But then the trailers were like, like they knew they had a great movie, so they just like send them out and be like, ah, who cares? We don't need this. It's not worth our time to make a trailer. Right. And then Duke Boom showed up. <laughs> and it steals the show, apparently. Right. And like from what I've gathered from like interviews and stuff uh, with the director, Josh Cooley, and then from the writers, they've been, and uh, the producers, they've been uh, you know in very steady communication with the marketing team. So they're happy with the marketing that they put out because apparently there's still a lot of parts to this movie that we have not seen full yet. So I'm interested to see how that all develops. Um, but the big thing for me from these reactions and everything is just that people are saying like it like it doesn't not that like it needs to justify its existence because mm-hmm. no movie should really have to do that necessarily but like it shows why the story needed to be told and so if that's the case and we're getting a, another continuation of Woody's character of Buzz of Jesse um, plus introduction of Duke Kaboom and Forky yeah. and all these other characters then uh, I can I, I, I'm super excited uh finally <laughs> right. for the first time it seems like to go see Toy Story 4 this yeah, week yeah as soon as like Keanu Reeves was introduced I was like I want to see this movie <laughs> and, and then like the tr- like the 
the reviews came out and I'm like, I like breathed a sigh of relief. It was almost sort of, I mean, I haven't read them obviously, but like the, right, I've the, just seen the, the headlines, the gusto that comes out of the internet. That's sort of like, it's okay. Like it's good. You it's like, we're safe. Everybody. Right. It, don't, all, don't worry. The coast is clear. Um, so, and then like I picked up inklings of like what it's about and I think it could be truly tremendous. So bring it on. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll also be back this week with a new big question this week tackling the summer movie season because it's uh, had some problems here the last couple of weeks we're going to discuss is it too crowded like is there anybody to blame can it be changed uh can it be fixed we'll discuss all that in the big question on wednesday so be sure to tune in for that but in the meantime be sure to tell us your thoughts on a thing covered by chance after the film and you can follow me personally on twitter at movie cooper and you can get at me josh at just joshua ryan and if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe share retweet and more plus head over to itunes and give us a five-star review with comments telling us why you enjoy listening to the show thanks again for tuning into the fence podcast josh thank you for stopping in everybody and be sure to turn next week for our future episodes